Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the BDU podcast. As always, joined by all four of your hosts, which we will be soon to hear. All right, so we've got a fair few things. We've got a bunch of questions for this podcast, and not only that, a fair few shows that ran this this weekend uh, and some huge accomplishments, especially from the natty scene in the IFBB. You boys see that, uh, was it Z and um, John, I believe, who won his pro card last season to Caden, competed in the IFBB. Did extremely well, coming first and second. Man, the Natty's given some of those big boys the smoke. Yeah. What was Z? Was he under 70 DC? Yeah. So interesting with this one, because um, because B and I were chatting last week about the, the strategy that he was going to employ for Z, because Z typically sits around... 72-ish, somewhere around there, mid-72s in terms of his, his weight. And, you know, realistically where Z's sitting in terms of his current conditioning, like he's pretty damn close to, to true 100%. Um, so in terms of, you know, getting underneath that that 70 kilo weight cut, uh, B had to employ a few weight cut strategies in terms of quite a se- severe depletion, uh, obviously running low in terms of fiber across multiple days and uh just really being considerate to to how much and the timing in regards to carbohydrate loading as well so pretty much carbohydrate loading after the weigh-in which i believe is the day before the um the the show so pretty much a bit of a, a rapid backload and i think z came in about 200 grams under 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 that that target weight range so it obviously worked immensely and the man did incredible, right? Like he can hold, yeah. he hold his own up there against some enhanced uh, athletes and obviously took out the first uh, in the under 70s for the bodybuilding category. So crazy. It's crazy when you think about him being like 70 kilos, you see him backstage and you're like, man, this guy's at least 80. But then when you, you hear 70, it's like, that's ass. even getting under that for someone like him, like 72 is like, oh. Mm, 100% yeah yeah and it, you know it's I guess when you're that lean as well having to run such a severe depletion phase plus also limit salt salt you know salt consumption plus hydration across multiple days like it's you know it is a challenging piece particularly when someone is that lean like if you think about the strategies that someone would employ for let's say a fighter trying to make a weight div uh these guys are lean and these women are lean but they're not like you know dick skin shredded right <laughs> so it, it, it's somewhat not not necessarily a roll of the dice but it is a bit like okay let's kind of really see how z responds to this over these days and and see if we can get him underneath this weight category so props to to z and, and brandon for uh for getting that done and, and getting him across the line it's crazy when you think about that though, because like you know when you weight cut like a fighter for example like they're not depleted like when you look at z like you know He's pretty much running on like low, probably muscle glycogen, like intramuscular triglycerides and all of that stuff. So he's already pretty much as flat as attack. So to like, you know, then draw another nearly two to three kilos off that as a weight cut, that's that's still very impressive. Mm, 100%. And then I guess with, with such a severe depletion, you kind of run the risk of finding it very hard to fill, fill the athlete out. So I think that was one of the the concerns for B with, with Z is to, you know, can we, can we fill him out enough to be, to showcase hundred percent on that stage the next day, you know, especially considering it's the next morning. So it's yeah. Like props, prop again, props to them for, for getting it done. He looked immense. But by any chance, do you know how much he weighed once he ended up filling back out? Did he like rebound up like a two, three kilos once they. Um, mate, I'm not sure. I'd have to, I have to chat with B on that one. I can let you know. 
no, yeah, no, it'd just be interesting to see how much like of a rebound, I guess, comes back out of it once you're fully depleted, flat as attack, and then you know, add the water, carbs, fats back in. Mm, yeah. What would you think of the classic boy, Jack, at the ICN New South Wales? Yeah, very impressive. As, as a classic enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, I've had my eye on him for a while. I didn't actually know he was competing uh, this season, but super impressive. He kind of embodies that classic golden era look for sure. I don't think he can get much more of like an Arnold lookalike, I feel. Like, yeah. I feel like he's pretty much nearly got like absolutely everything, which is... Mm. But, but even the second place that I believe came second to him looked extremely impressive as well. Like, yeah. you know, They're super both actually, classic. Um, I think they both own a sort of classic physique, clothing apparel or something. So they were they were mates, I think. So the chances of them getting second and third was was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope the other guy's not majority owner of the company because the <laughs> other dude's off after that. <laughs> Time to get yeah. the boot. Do you we'll guys see my... be super competitive at, at nationals? We're keen to see it. Oh, 100%. It's going to be an absolute battle. What about the bodybuilding? You guys have a look over that at all from the ICN New South Wales or Victoria show? The Victoria looked very good. The The bloke who won it kind of uh, Mr. Muscle Maturity. He looked uh, good size, good conditioning, good good density. And there was actually this this junior as well. I mean, of course, I only saw it through through photos but coached by um denver stein and he looked enormous for a junior so yeah he was, was massive stand out yeah i think his name was kane yeah mm. he looked extremely impressive one yeah. big boy for 23 the, um, yeah the the bodybuilding for new south wales didn't catch too much of that i think i saw the top two i think the bloke who got second place is a is a listener of the podcast so yeah if ah. i'm correct be fair do you watch it all lawrence or dc I probably caught more of the Victorian stuff and yeah, like similar to Jack, like obviously the guy who won the 23s coached by Denver, he looked tremendous. The guy who won the overall looked really good as well. Didn't get a whole lot of the the new South Wales stuff in my feed. Mm. If I'm being completely honest. Uh, I find that Victoria normally always pops up in my feed whenever they do their shows, like their athletes are normally at the top of my feed. They do a really good job of like publishing it and streaming it as well. They have like a really high quality camera. So even all like the listeners and stuff like that were following on with keeping me updated on it all. Uh, even, even like the quality of girls at like the Victoria show was extremely impressive as well. Um, like the sports and fitness girls look really good. The girl that won the fitness literally looked like an IFBB competitor. She was extremely impressive. Um, which actually brings me more or less to like my next question, which was like, have you guys noticed much of a difference between like the state shows from like Brisbane to like Victoria and stuff like that? Because for me, when I went there, like the whole line of posing for like the fitness girls is like completely different. Like the ICN, like Queensland, they won't let you do like the IFBB as a front shot. But when you go down there, all the posing coaches and all of that, like have their girls pretty much running like an IFBB front shot where it's like fully side on, which was super interesting because I've never actually seen it down there firsthand. But when you go there and the entire lineup's doing IFBB poses, I was like, what the hell? It, it came to even some of the points where like they would turn to their quarter turn and they actually didn't change their pose at all. It was the exact same pose for both shots, which was super interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, one thing I even noticed as well was uh, like the, the, the guy that took out the classic at the New South Wales show, that overall there, uh, even the side chest that he hit is a traditional kind of like IFBB classic side chest variation. Whereas 
like here in Queensland, we often promote the fist, you know, fist together. Mm. Like the, mm. So, the, I mean, that's just a, a small point of difference. I, I would prefer having the traditional side chest. I think that just looks better. But um, I think there are just some subtle like posing differences between, between um, states. And even, for example, how we go about our classic routine, you know, the 30 to 45 second stint of free posing, I don't think that's utilized yeah, or that. as much. They won't be doing that at nationals either. States. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Do, do the pros still get time to do their like routine? I know that normally the pro shows, they give them, I think, a minute. Think, yeah, but I think it's, it's separate in the sense that they bring out each individual athlete on their mm-hmm. own to do their routine, almost as if they, you know, showcase that person and and present in the t- in the sense of like entertainment. You know, get that yeah. get that pro out, give them a little bit more stage time, and then you know go into the the symmetry and the lineups and everything. Mm. One thing I did notice as well that was different, which I kind of mentioned off air a little bit, was the difference in tanning between the females. I think there was about like four different tanning companies that were pretty much backstage at Victoria. So like when you're all, when you're actually looking at the show, so there's so much variety of like actual tone, like of the tan. Like you know, yeah, I saw even one girl nearly pretty much dream tanned up the uh, girl that ended up winning the overall fitness, which was super interesting because like you know, if someone was to come into Brisbane show fully dream tanned, like you'd be like somewhat looking at it sideways and yeah it was, it was very interesting to judge when like you know you got like three different tanning companies all in the same venue they're all also tanning up their own people and putting like you know like the hot stuff on it and whatnot like glazing up their own clients because it, it's just tan girls running crazy backstage like pretty much touching up everyone's tan which was something a little bit different that i haven't seen because normally obviously chic just runs backstage at queensland so all the girls across the entire board maybe bar one or two pretty much look the exact same in terms of skin color mm. Mm. even there's a little bit of differences like speaking of the tan side of things with uh dream tan as an example like here in queensland dream tan is so fine right <laughs> like mm. all the guys in the in their categories in their divs will utilize it uh women's figure athletes will utilize it. like buddy yeah. jason sells it at the venue you know you're out of dream tan go back go up to the reception you can grab yourself a couple of tubs like he's got 300 mm. tubs sitting there <laughs> So it's like happy days. But if you go to somewhere like New South Wales, they're a lot more hesitant about the use of, of Dream Tan. I wouldn't go as far as saying get marked down for it, but it's a bit like, oh, that guy's got Dream Tan on. Okay. Like it's not a, it's not as well accepted, put it that way. Yeah. Very interesting. I think well, is, the- is Dream Tan a little uh, overhyped nowadays though? Like do you, I've just found that if you're, not careful when you put too much on like it does obscure some detail well you gotta think even when like alex competed like at the icn he just literally got the base chic tan like he didn't have dream tan on at all and to be honest he looked really sharp but like stuck to him very nicely it wasn't like that wet like kind of look like you know it was it made him look super super dry which is probably something i don't normally see too much from the dream tan it's like unless you're absolutely peeled you kind of just makes you even look softer yeah, I think. Uh, well, I, I was just going to say what what's interesting. For example, if you look at um, Z, like Z at the the IFBB show, I don't think he was wearing Dream Tan um, because obviously they they pro tan in the IFBB. So, I mean, if you look at, for example, Z when he's when he's got Dream Tan on him versus you know when he's not got Dream Tan on him and he's just got like a pro tan glaze, um, different, different. You know what I mean? So, I do think that. I mean, personally, I think dream tan is like is is the ultimate but i think you can you can cake it on and you can make it look pretty shit if if you yeah. don't know what you're doing yeah 
what's your opinion, Lawrence? Because obviously you've gone from Dream Tan and what do you use now? Sun Tan on, I think it is. You prefer that much more after running it a couple of times? Yeah, I think that the Sun Tan on, at least for like how we've done it, looked better than previous seasons using the Dream Tan, in my opinion, on my physique. You know, once again, it's it's all personal preference. But, you know, you're exactly right. Like Alex's tan, you know, it almost had like a bit of a matte quality to it. Like he wasn't sort of shiny like the rest of us, but, you know, his detail was immense. And obviously part of the fact is because he was absolutely peeled. Um, but one thing I'm actually quite interested in is when I compete with the WMBF in Brisbane, they have a, a standardized tanning service and it's sort of just a base coat and a top coat. And I'm assuming they'll both be like a spray. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how my physique looks with maybe something that is more akin to like a traditional, you know, pro tan, like you do see. Cause yeah, like in the IFBB, like no one has that like same shininess, but you can still see some people with extremely good details. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing that because you know, if it does make my physique look a lot sharper, um, it might be something we consider for future shows. And then obviously in WMBF um, in America, there's a big no-no on Dream Tan. So all of that will be standardized as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how my physique looks with some different tanning options. Hmm. I must say though, that Pro Tan does, it, it's definitely like the upper echelon of the tans like it's it's very nice not only that it's like not watery or anything it's definitely like if they had that tanning company like all across australia doing like a majority of shows like that would definitely be the pick i think even over the dream tan just by how nice it looks on even the bodybuilders plus not only that the girls are also backstage like doing the glaze the hot stuff all for you so it takes the whole stress side of things um out of the equation yeah. my next question on that is like now that we've seen pretty much like a large majority of the competitors so far like do you guys have any predictions for the pro cards or like who do you think is going to be extremely impressive leading into like the nationals apart from obviously lawrence like we already got that card locked down like that, that's already well what about you jack do you think that classic physique boys looking quite promising yeah i think it would be hard to go past them to be honest like mm. The only way I can see him being marked down is if like he's a little too, like maybe they might think he's a little too big for the classic category, but I don't think so because Brandon has a bloke like Ryan Schubert, who is a classic pro and he was, he was um, by far the biggest classic competitor when he turned pro. So yeah, I think, I mean, look up this guy on Instagram, not you guys, but the listeners, he's called Overkel, O-V-E-R-K-E-L-L. Very, very impressive. Um, but for bodybuilding, yeah, I think with bodybuilding, it's it's arguably more difficult than classic because it depends so much about, like with classic, you can look at the lines and the shape of their physique via photos, but with bodybuilding, so much of it is like the density of their look and um, their conditioning as well, more so than classic, I think. There's, and I think every overall winner in each state so far has been impressive, like a mm. Ocam from Perth looked fantastic. Um, Scott from South Australia looked great. The guy from Victoria, great. New South Wales, great. Um, Queensland, very good. So yeah, I'm excited to be there for bodybuilding. Mm. It should also be interesting because it's not going to be one height class, I doubt. Like considering mm. the amount of like bodybuilders that we've seen this season, I think we're seeing like a decent little split amongst like the bodybuilders. They might even have up to three height classes. Like my guess would be just by the sheer amount of competitors, even at Brisbane, that if they're still going to continue through. Yeah, I think with the quality as well, like it deserves three height classes because 
quality is going to be quite deep this season. So it would be nice to see more people rewarded, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, even the uh, men's fitness boy, I think, is now pushing on to nationals from uh, Queensland, which looks extremely impressive as well. Uh, had a good word to him. And uh, yeah, I think he's in the right mindset. And I think for a first timer, like, you know, he's going to be extremely competitive hitting nationals as well. So he's definitely one to look look uh, look out for. You boys, Lawrence or DC, got any picks? Think coming in? Mate, I mean, I think that, you know, Alex, the Queensland bias, I think he's going to be extremely competitive. But, you know, Jack's right. Like, it is so hard because with bodybuilding, like, when you get into that level of conditioning, so much of it is going to be dependent on, like, you know, have have guys been able to, you know, hang in there for these last few weeks? Like, it's a, a long time to be in that level of conditioning. Um, but, yeah, I would say that based on the numbers, there, I think there will be three height classes. And then, of course, there's the consideration for who ends up going into the Oceania show as well. So yeah, hopefully it's, it's a huge lineup for Oceania. That'll be big, yeah, yeah, yeah massive. Is yeah. It, it, in that, uh, does it? Do you know of any pros that are competing apart from Z? Because I know Z's definitely doing the national show, and I think he's been going for it. But have you seen any pros? Hmm. Um, Brandon's client, uh, Big Red, or what's his name? Yeah. 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 Big, big red will be in there. Um, it'll also be Ryan, Ryan Fredericks as well. will be in that, that pro yeah. lineup. Um, whoever wins on the day as well. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at probably. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever wins on the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 True. 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 Um, oh, there's a couple others that come to mind, but I just cannot think, I cannot think, you know, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. But I do think it's going to be a pretty stacked lineup. Like I'll be very excited to watch that lineup in terms of the mm. quality. Oh, 100%. All right, let's get into some of these questions. Uh, what what current training cycles are we running and what are some of the major movements for the actual like training days themselves? I'm going to throw it over to you, Jack. Well, what are you running? Because you said that you're deloading. Well, what's yeah, the so I wrap, like? I, this is my first week back to training. So I've got two, uh, two uh, blocks left and I actually checked in with AJ today. I won't get his response back for a few hours, but I um, proposed to him that I would just actually train at Riggs now, which is quite a big decision um, because one, I think Riggs has a better, a much better bodybuilding vibe than uh, Welgin Brendale. And it's arguably um, the equipment selection is still fantastic at Riggs. And the only reason I was training between two gyms was just a little bit more diversity in, in equipment selection. And, uh, but now that Riggs has got in um, some great pressing pieces, like now some, some actual true hoist pieces, um, both for like shoulder press, dip and and chest press, um, plus like a fantastic array of back kit. I, um, I'm just going to train there. And uh, I think the biggest theme uh, between now and starting prep is really just like standardization of execution, um, like not really going too gung-ho in terms of uh, uh, progression. Like for example, I think there's room in the off season for let's say in the RDL, allowing a little bit of decrement in execution to touch new loads and then uh, reacclimate at that load and let execution um, become tip top again. But I think in the phase that I'm in now, like I've already got probably 99% of the muscle I'm going to have in prep. So now it's just about not getting injured, um, standardizing everything so that in prep, I know exactly what I'm doing, um, how to retain it. And I'm not going into prep, like for example, already, um, not maximizing range of motion in a squat or already bouncing out of the hole in a squat. Like that's already 
um, in a good spot. But in terms of major, major movements, I'm like RDL squat, uh, Smith squat on leg day. Uh, my main pressing movements will all be like machine based leading into prep. So there'll be like a plate loaded, uh, modified hoist piece and probably either a prime plate loaded chest press or a Smith machine um, bench press and main pulling movements are actually like, like plate loaded single arm pull down. And um, I'm actually not running any bilateral pull movements at the moment for lats um, and also T-bar row, that sort of stuff. So um, not, not much free, free lifts, free weight lifts at all, aside from literally RDL, I think is my only barbell lift and, and no dumbbell lifts currently except curls. In regards to the Smith machine squat, do you run actually any back supported squats on opposing days, like a hack squat or like a pendulum squat or is the only, uh, guess no, squat? I don't, I, I find squat patterns incredibly fatiguing for me. So I can probably only one run one a week and I start off with that. Because if I try and do a squat pattern, even with a back support after RDLs, like I'm just better off doing a leg press because my CNS is pretty already pretty much gone at that point. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm. What about you, DC? What's your current split? Mm, yeah, so I so I run three uppers and two lowers. Uh, two of my upper days are a combination of push, push and pull, but they have a little bit more of a bias towards pull. And one of my, my days is a little bit more biased towards uh, pushing. So like more delts and, and, and pressing based movements. But I do train back essentially three times a week. And this is just because my, my volumes uh, allocating towards that as a means of bringing up some weakness within my own physique. And I definitely am able to tolerate higher volumes for my pull based movements as opposed to my presses, which just sits nicely in terms of my recoverability anyway. So um and because I'm a little bit more, I guess, chest dominant in terms of my upper, therefore I just don't need to run as high volumes for, for this. Uh, in my lower body days, I have essentially a uh, like an anterior bias, or I should say more of a quad bias. And then I have more of a, in my lower two, I run a little bit more of a, a glute slash hamstring bias. So uh, for my pull bias movements in terms of my, my sort of, I guess, strength focused exercises is uh, like a chest supported T-bar row. Uh, and then I also run a uh, plate loaded lat pull down. There uh, yeah. are various other pull, pull, pull same, based movements. Same as me. Front lat pull down, you know, um, iliac pull, you've got to have that in there, right? Or else all mm -hmm. that volume is negligible. Um, Doesn't count. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of my. What brand of the T bar is it? Is it the Watson one or? No, I'm actually training at Brendale now. Okay. So it's technically. We're training, yeah, we're training full time at, at at Brandale again, just to kind of change it up. And there's a few pieces that I like there that they don't have at the um the powerhouse, so it's nice to train train back there again. Uh, in terms of my my primary press based movements at the moment is a flat dumbbell bench and a plate loaded incline. I was running barbell for a good stretch there, but I actually got this, I actually developed this ganglion on my wrist, and. I couldn't quite bench in terms of the extension that I needed through the wrist to comfortably place the barbell on my hand. So I had to remove barbell uh, benching for quite a stretch, which was really annoying piece for me. Cause I was, I think in the, in, in previous podcasts, I was talking about how I wanted to hit five on 140 for a pause and I got four on 140 for a pause. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I had to um like, just before I went for my test week, I developed this ganglion, which was very annoying. But um, yeah, they're my basically my my compound movements for um, I guess my more strength focus for my presses. My anterior bias is more 
a combination of a, um, a pendulum squat and a belt squat. And my uh, hamstring slash glute bias is I plate loaded hip thrust or Smith machine hip thrust uh, and I RDL as well. So yeah, they're kind of like my, that's kind of like a, a, the gist of my split at the moment. You Were you training out of Powerhouse Elite over near Stafford? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were. I actually trained with Joe over there last week and I must say it is a very impressive gym. Like they got so much kit there. Like even though it is somewhat small, especially when you like compare it to like Powerhouse, for example, like Powerhouse on the south side, they got probably like three times as much actual room, but like the elite has so much machinery, like, and it's all good quality stuff as well. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's really, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, most of the stuff there is pretty, pretty good. I do find some of the Watson pieces, like they're a bit, they're very like flashy, you know, like they, they look mm -hmm. amazing, super flashy, but personally, I'm not a huge fan of their dumbbells. They're still, they're yeah. still you know, dumbbells. Uh, just the, the diameter of them. I sorry, I should say the width of them is, uh, just very different to like your traditional kind of rubber hexagonal style dumbbells. So uh, they just feel way heavier and less mm. stable than, than other, other dumbbells. So that's actually why I was running barbell bench while I was training there. Cause I just hated their dumbbells. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, I also picked up one. I think I was doing like dumbbell curls with it and it has like a swivel on it. I was like, this thing is so weird. It felt so yeah, wrong. I think they're, they're the, they're the fat grips. They're yeah. The fat grips, um, dumbbells. Yeah. They rotate. Yeah, that was shit. I yeah. can't blame you subbing out all dumbbell movements. That's for sure. Yeah, literally, I was. I mean, the only dumbbell exercises I was doing was a single arm overhead French press and like a behind the body bicep curl. Everything else was either plate loaded or barbell, or you know, uh, machine. Yeah. All right, Lawrence. What are you, what are you running into this back half of the prep? So I've been on the same split for the whole of prep. Like I was sort of pretty adamant that I wanted to, I think it was even like the last mesocycle of the off season. We started running like just an upper lower split. So three upper two lower. I just feel like it's a good way to distribute volume in prep um, so that you have a little bit more frequency, especially for me, like my upper body being, you know, a little bit behind my lower body. I wanted to make sure I was topping it up, you know, those three days a week. So for the first upper Main chest movement is just like a flat hammer strength plate loaded. Main back movement's a seal row. So that's at the club line that I train at. And then first lower session, sort of the two main movements are like a pendulum squat, which I took a nasty PB today with Rika. Shout out Rika for pushing me through the set. But mm. I, um, I don't know how that 12th rep came up. I thought that the weight stopped, but we made it. And then I do back <laughs> extensions on that day as well. And then upper two... I suppose, I think it is, yeah, pretty much like a full machine day. The main chest press is actually the, it's the pin loaded incline, hammer strength, the MTS press, mm -hmm. I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Great piece, really nice piece. And then my main back movement on that day is the Watson T-bar. I do actually have that new Watson row that they've put in which is a very fiddly machine, but I've, yeah. I've cracked the code of how to set it up nicely for me, which is nice. And it, it harkens back to that point, DC, like Watson, it's good kit, but it's, it's very finicky. And I think the mistake that they make a lot of the time is that they try and make the machines too adjustable. You know, it's like 
the handle moves and you can move the width and the height and you can rotate it and you know you can stick your leg through a hole if you want it's like at some point something needs to be welded in and the watson t-bar is a great example because they have the old one and the new one right next to each other and in my opinion the old one is miles better mm. um so mm. that's the that's the second upper day for my third upper day um i'm still actually running a dumbbell a flat dumbbell press and you know the the loads aren't anything special but I just find that like a flat dumbbell press, I can still get a really nice mind muscle connection, still take a really nice eccentric. And then my main back movement on that day, I believe is actually a lap pull around on the plate loaded machine. And then for the final leg day of the week, we've got the Watson hack as sort of our main, main lift on that day. But I'm actually super excited because, you know, obviously I'm training at powerhouse three days out of the week, but the other gym that I train at, is i believe at the end of next week doing an expansion where they're like knocking down one of the cycle studios and a big group fitness room and they're just extending the gym floor and they're getting some new kit as well so i'm very interested to see what they put in there because it could potentially mean that my days at those gyms are a little bit more varied which would be nice could be 20 pieces of prime kit all adjustable (laughs) Mate, I'm hoping that they've just gone, yeah, like, you know, we understand that all the kit that we've got is uh, is hammer strength and life fitness, but I'm just hoping by some miracle they accidentally deliver all this Nautilus and Prime kit and they go, oh, man, this was meant for rigs, but, oh, well, let's just leave it here. We've already painted it all black. Um, so, you know, you're somewhat limited with a, a big chain like Club Lime where they've got, like, contracts with certain manufacturers. So, the kit that will come in will very likely be primarily hammer strength and life fitness. However, there is some still really good plate loaded stuff that would add to my like upper body days on those days. They do have a Cybex hack at club. I was about to say that. I am hoping that maybe they get some Cybex stuff in there. Like a few bits and pieces would be nice. Like I know there's some nice Cybex chest presses, some nice Cybex rows. So maybe, maybe, uh, but it's sort of like, almost an ongoing joke with like me at that gym because every six months for the past two years the gym manager has asked me what i think the gym needs i tell her nothing happens but now it's happening so i'm i'm interested to see how much of my list actually comes to fruition so we'll wait and see she's got that wish wish list like written on her like computer screen like of all this machine that you've listed like chest supported prime row yeah no lap pull down and she just said you know what like let's collect this whole list for lawrence he's been a true supporter of the gym like you know it's about time we gave back to him i just can't wait to come in at 6 a.m on a tuesday morning and see you know 85 year old maureen who's just sitting on like the Nautilus, just doing a one-arm <laughs> iliac pull down, just absolutely killing it. Lower lats looking absolutely tremendous. It's the only way to stay mobile as a, a geriatric mate, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, on regards to you, in regards to your programming, have you reduced some of the volume? I know that we mentioned like, you know, I think it was about 10 weeks in, we were touching on like bringing down maybe some sets within the gym. Have you actually changed any of your actual sets? Have you reduced them? You kept them the exact same? What's been the go there? Yeah, not a crazy amount. Like I've probably upper body volume has essentially stayed the same just because I find that like I probably need a little bit of that volume just to maintain the fullness. And also the performance hasn't really suffered um, for a lot of those lifts because I've moved a lot of it to more supported machine-based stuff. So upper, not really. We did make a little bit of an adjustment like after coming back from the hamstring injury, you know, instead of doing like, 
three sets of like a single leg leg press, we went back to like two sets or instead of doing three sets of back extensions, we pulled that back to just a top and a back off. And I probably just have lowered the lower volume very, very slightly. Uh, but in all honesty, it's probably not that far from what I would have it when I then transition into the off season. The biggest change once transitioning into the off season will just be like going back to a push pull upper lower and then just adding in certain exercises that I just don't see the point of adding in until we finish the season, i.e. the king of all exercises, the barbell deadlift. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I can't wait, man. I'm three so for excited. three. I'm literally dreaming about it. Uh, here he's already thinking about the post-prep program. Oh, mate, it's written down. Like, it literally, I've like got the scaffold of it written down. So no, I can't wait. I'm also You're... probably going to do like a bit of an arm day next off season, like a little mm-hmm. sort of 30, 40 minute arm day before work on a Friday, mm-hmm. um, because that was some of the feedback, like just sort of need a lot more size and density through the arms. So I'm going to run that for kind of as long as I can really. Well, like... I heard Rich, Rich, is it Rich Piano? He's got like a yeah. nice eight hour arm workout. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, Cause what I'm doing is I'm just going to say to the boss, Hey mate, like I'm not going to be able to work Fridays anymore. Cause that's my arm day. And mm. uh, just not enough hours in mm. the day, really. Yeah. Well, you're off on Wednesday. Like the podcast is on at three. Like, you know, we could maybe start it at like, you know, what, like six, seven, like yeah, we might be able it's to... a push. Yeah. Just make sure you got your shakes ready for it though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. What is it? Eight, it's 16 shakes. Get serious about it. Cliff bars in between. And I'll have shakes afterwards as well. Like tremors because of the rhabdo setting in. So yeah, it shakes all around. <laughs> Very nice. In terms of my training program, I'm pretty much running like a push-pull legs and then I'm doing like an abs day in between, which is like somewhat of like a recovery day and then I'm going back and then I'm doing a push-pull. But the last pull day is more like an RDL focus, like posterior day. So the first day is pretty much like um, for the first push day, it'll be like a delt focus. So cuff laterals and a Smith machine shoulder press is my first movement there. My then pull day the day after the next two primary movements are a lat pull down and a chest supported row, not the Watson uh, chest supported T-bar because I have that on the next day. Lower body, um, which is the only lower body for the entire pretty much like uh, training cycle is I pretty much got my lower body on like pretty much like maintenance volume across the board. So pretty much like six sets of quads because I train like a pussy. Um, Same as with the hamstrings and glutes as well. Uh, just in the end, it's like for the division that I need to be, you know, aiming for, I don't realistically need the need like huge legs. So I'm putting more of my recovery volume into like my upper body. Um, the move major movements there though, leg extension, a squat press and a pendulum squat, uh, next, which is my next push day after that, pretty much like, a, it's like a flat hammer strength, uh, chest press that feels really good as my like major pressing movement. And then on my final pool day is a barbell RDL alongside a chest supported T-bar row. And of course, the iliac pool. Otherwise, no point on even training back. That pretty much sums up that. Um, let's jump in this next question here. Exercises for your leg day when suffering from lower back pain. Any general tips on managing that, Lawrence? How do you normally go about that? Yeah. So without sounding like, you know, trying to paint too broad of a brush, but essentially anything that you can do on your leg day that keeps the pain to a tolerable level and that the pain settles fairly quickly following 
from my perspective as a physio, that's when I give people the green light. Now we can always postulate certain exercises that are going to feel better or worse. So if someone did have like an acute bout of low back pain, generally I would tell them look for like isolation type exercises. So if you want to do a leg day, you could probably still do your leg extensions, curls, adductor, abductor, calves to a pretty normal intensity but maybe things that are a bit more axial loading, leg press, squat patterns, hinge patterns, you probably want to take it a bit easier. But sort of the thing that I tell people is that as a general rule of thumb, and you can also apply this to just day-to-day tasks or, or work tasks, depending on what you do for a job, is that you know pain doesn't necessarily mean you're causing any damage. It doesn't mean you're making the issue worse, but we also want to make sure we're not causing an amount of pain that is resulting in a significant flare-up perhaps to the point where you're needing to then sit down for a while or take some pain relief or to some anti-inflammatories. So as long as you can keep the pain tolerable, yeah, maybe you feel it a little bit, but if you can put up with it and it settles pretty quickly after the session, then anything within that is fine. And you can just vary your exercise selection or potentially reduce loading as needed in order to adhere to that general principle. Now on that as well, is there any advice that you have to maybe try and stay injury free as possible like in your off season because we all know like you know you get an injury for example like what you did might put you out of like six hard weeks of hamstring training do you have any general recommendations on maybe like trying to stay injury free in the off season yeah so look it's always going to be one of those things where people want to hear you know that they should be foam rolling more or getting acupuncture or laser guided cupping therapy intramuscular electro stim but the reality Mm. is is that it comes back to the basics you know like the biggest things you can do to avoid getting injured is probably one maintain a sensible amount of training volume don't overdo it don't exceed what you can recover from week to week or mesocycle to mesocycle two progress your loads sensibly don't do anything too crazy three you know, lift with pretty good execution for the most part. You know, yes, there's some variance within that and we don't need to be quote unquote neutral or perfect or avoid valgus all of the time. Sleep well, eat well, try and be low stress. Like it sort of comes back to all the same principles, doesn't it? And if you like doing some of the other stuff, if you like your sports massages and your cupping and this, that and the other, and you're able to afford it, great. You know, it's it's nice to have a bit of a sprinkle on top. Um, but it's exactly the same with like nutrition and training. Like there's the base of the pyramid, which matters so much more than whatever is in that top corner. So if you can do that stuff well, you're probably going to stay injury free. And, you know, maybe just being a... And, and then there's the genetic component, like just being a robust human. Like look at Keefe West. Like we know how he trains and the dude doesn't rest. Like... Just yeah. let that sink in. Like he doesn't take any rest days and he trains like an absolute animal. There is no explanation for that other than that he is just an extremely resilient individual based on his genetics. Like he's literally built different. So, yeah. It's funny you say that though, because like I see some people like doing like a 250 kilo deadlift and the back's looking like a like the hunchback of Notre Dame and they're sitting here and they've done it for so long with zero injuries. I'm like, wow. How does nothing happen? Like not even a strain. Well, you have to sort of think about it in terms of like, you know, DC, you would be very familiar. Jack, I'm sure you covered it in your studies. DY, we're talking about like university, like when you actually (laughs) go and learn stuff. (laughs) So like 
or you talk about wolf's law which is like the ability of like you know bones and tissues to adapt and it yeah. you know that's the way you need to think about it if you supply a stimulus to a body part and in this case it's loaded you know it's spinal flexion plus load you have that stimulus but you just give it enough stimulus so that those tissues are able to recover it will get strong in that position so that's like what i explain to people is that there's really nothing wrong with that as long as you get there in an appropriate manner and you've given yourself time to adapt recover adapt recover that's why like for example like I mean, you you watched me do a set of 220 at, at Worlds Mount Cravat. My lower back bent on every single rep. But, you know, I've built that up from when I was learning to deadlift with Joey when I was doing 120. So it's like, hmm. it's not an issue for me. Whereas the 15-year-old who's going into the gym for the first time, should he try attempt 180 kilos deadlift with a rounded back? Probably not. See, my reference to that, though, is like, you know, here's you ticking all the boxes hamstring happens you know you've done everything correct for so long built the load up for so long and like you know it wasn't even like technically like a hard set something happens but it's like oh hey, hey, hey. it's warm up like you know and then something like that like you know where obviously it looks like you know a little bit like yeah sure you got that wolf's law but like you know someone like you has been overloading that for so long very meticulous in managing every single variable and something like that happens to you and not them they're sitting there happy days 300 mm. bent like a fishing but, line but that's where that like I, I when i explain this to people and i talk about their injuries i sort of outline it in this way where i tell them you know we can talk about all this stuff about like tissue resilience and you know everything that goes into pain and injury and then there's that little sliver where i tell people sometimes you just get unlucky and look at <laughs> mate look at the top of the tree like Take someone like Cristiano Ronaldo or LeBron James. LeBron James is a great example because he has gone on record saying that he invests slash spends over a million dollars a year on his body when it comes to like soft tissue therapy, dietitians, physios, trainers, everything. And he still gets injured. So it's like, you mm. can do everything right. You can tick all the boxes, but at the end of the day, sometimes, and for me in that instance, it's like, okay, when I get to that level of prep, I'm just a bit too fragile of a human being to tolerate certain loading patterns or certain patterns of movement. But also sometimes you can do it all right and you just get unlucky. 100%. Like the luck of the draw, mate. We're just a little bit unlucky, me and you. And I take Jack. it all back. There's no such thing as luck. You just didn't want it bad enough. All hard I, work. Yeah, 100%. Mm. All right, let's get on the next question, which is the benefits of fat loading for peak week. What's your intake here, DC? What's your input? Mm, yeah, that's a really good question because I think when we often think about the the prevalence of loading within a peak week, we often think obviously loading of um, glucose, right? Like muscle glycogen because realistically, that's probably going to provide the, the greatest sense of fullness to one's physique uh, leading into a show. But there is some evidence which suggests benefits from fat loading. Uh, and I think the... the I, the pretense here is that nearly as much energy is stored in muscle cells as muscle, intramuscular triglycerides uh, as compared to glycogen. So, but it, there's, there's a ton of uh, intervariability amongst people, such as things like um, muscle fiber type to insulin sensitivity, um, gender weight, uh, training status, et cetera. But essentially it comes down to, we may be able to add further fullness to one's physique by, increasing storage of intramuscular triglycerides 
Um, I'm not sure if you guys read uh, the paper, which was released by like Chris um, Barakat, Alan Aragon, Brad Schoenfeld. They did a peak week recommendations for bodybuilders, uh, an evidence-based approach. And I think this study was released in 2021. So it was only a couple of years old. Is that the one with Scott Stevenson as well? Yes. Yeah. 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 Very good paper. Great paper. Yeah. Very interesting um, like insights and very interesting, uh, I wouldn't say recommendations, but just uh, what, what the data shows and perhaps what anecdotally various coaches have utilized based on, you know, various, various studies, case studies, et cetera. Um, and one of the one of the recommendations, or not recommendations, but um, guidelines of sorts, is essentially fat loading, in, independent of glucose loading. So what the paper looked at doing was implementing, let's say, initial days of, let's say, if we were running a mid load, running initial days, so let's say, three days in a in a calendar week of depletion. So you know, very low carbohydrates, high fat, low. Uh, sorry. Uh, loaded like moderate ish fat low fat i guess you'd say as well low carbohydrates high protein you would then run a mid load let's say over a two two or three day period run very high carbohydrates uh with very low fats and then one day out from the show would essentially be a fat load and there's a lot of interchangeability amongst you know individuals here in this case but the paper did did not necessarily promote but it did say say that in some individuals they'll load up to two grams per kilo of body weight in respect to uh, fats. So what's really interesting on that is because if I look at, for example, my own contest prep, uh, I was running extremely low fats in my, in my diet phase in, in, in my depletion days, there were a few weeks there. Where I think we were running 25 or 30 grams of fats, which is, you know, very low for an 80 kilogram male. Uh, so me then running 160 grams of fats the day out from that show. I mean, I don't think, I don't even think my bile duct has processed that much, that many fats, for bloody six months of my prep. Like to me, it's a, that's essentially an uncontrolled variable that's being thrown into the mix. So I haven't experimented much myself nor with my athletes in terms of actually running a proper high, super high fat day. Um, I think the, the premise here is that by loading carbohydrates on the days uh, leading up to the show, we, we generally get this increase in intramuscular, sorry, in, intracellular. So we, we, want the, we want the coordination between intracellular and extracellular fluid, right? Uh, in order to showcase dryness in one's physique on stage, we want a lot of that you know, intracellular fluid in the cell, right? And the limitation of extracellular fluid, that, which kind of showcases this like somewhat watery look. So when we, for example, load carbohydrates, there's this pretense that, we increase fluid retention outside of the cell and because there's somewhat of a delay associated with the uptake of that glucose into the cell itself in terms of storage, which if you were to stand on stage whilst in the mid middle of potentially loading majority of your carbohydrates on the day, you could showcase a you know watery physique of sorts. So the, pre the, the, the prevalence of fat loading the day out is to almost allow for this extracellular fluid to decrease prior to then stepping on stage so that you can showcase more of a, a drier look. So essentially dry out the one day out mark. But the, I guess my concern with regards to fat loading is because we have a problem with nutrient partitioning towards the tail end of prep, right? So we get this, we essentially get peripheral insulin resistance. So our, our body's ability to uptake uh, glucose into the muscle cell 
and potentially you know adipose tissue as well i'm oh, sorry fat i should say is is less like our body has this proclivity to want to centralize uh its nutrients because that's what's going to maintain homeostasis you know um, the body doesn't really care at that point about me being able to get an awesome pump backstage. It's going to want to centralize everything, which is often why when we're pushing back up in terms of the recovery phase, you see this centralization of fat mass around the stomach. We're super lean through the extremities. You know, everything is, this is basically peripheral insulin resistance. We see this in like in starved individuals uh, in starvation studies. So by essentially fat loading, how can we guarantee that we are replenishing muscle triglycerides as opposed to fat tissue elsewhere. And I think that's often a, a common conversation. I even had a conversation with Eric Helms about this actually. Uh, and he was of a, a similar, similar notion here. So I think despite the, what fat loading promotes, uh, I'm not sure if it, it generally achieves to the same degree. And I think there might be a paper coming out by Eric actually with regards to an updated uh, allotment of recommendations or guidelines with regards to peak week protocol. Very nicely said. Do you have anything further to add there, Jack? I think digestibility is a very valid point because, uh, and also the comp composition of fatty acids that you're consuming. Like, I think if the coach doesn't know enough about fatty acid composition, then you give someone, let's say, 100 plus grams of fat, and then they eat mainly saturated fat, mm. and then they then that's not great. Um, in terms of digestibility and also general health. Ideally, you want to get that from monounsaturated and, and polyunsaturated fat sources. Um, but yeah, I think especially that uh, peripheral um, resistance is also very valid. Like we need essentially more research to determine whether, where you're going to store those fatty acids and triglycerides um, and whether that's going to actually correlate to increased um, muscle fullness. Mm, the other yeah so so basically the other recommendations surrounding like loading fat independent of of glucose as well and this is why it's deemed you know fat loading on itself not necessarily fat and carb loading collectively is for that exact reason in terms of digestibility so the i guess the the recommendation or the guideline there is if we were to load fats in, independent of fiber and potentially you know uh, glucose that it might allow for better um, better loading of glucose specifically because we're running essentially lower lower fiber. We know that fat does slow digestion as well. So on those loading days might be best, you know, independent of fat intake, but then fat by itself as well as a means of improving digestibility. Uh, it sounds great on paper, but I'm just not sure how well it applies. Like I can't, I can't see myself one day out from a show running 160 grams of fats the day before I'm jumped on stage. Uh, sounds like a recipe for steatorrhea. I mean, and of course, like someone might be, you know, listening to this podcast and going, we're not saying load 160 grams of carbs. There's always going to be some interchangeability there. But I do think that, uh, you know, towards the tail end of prep, I just look at it from the, pre the, the, pre the, the presence of, I don't want to throw in anything that hasn't, isn't controlled, isn't a controlled variable. So unless I've practiced throwing in 100 grams of fats, 160 grams of fats, 80 grams of fats on a, on a loading day, if I'm doing that one day out from the show, to me, it's an uncontrolled variable. And I probably don't want to, to play around with that, even if it may promote optimality. You know, and it's really hard to test this sort of stuff too, because you don't want to go to one of your athletes like, hey, you mind if we load 160 grams of fats on your one day out, Mark? Kind of just want to see how you look. <laughs> it may not go down so well, right? In terms of your athlete. 
a hundred percent. It's it's one of those ones that like more or less like if I haven't trialed it myself or gotten the permission from someone, it's like, am I really going to be playing around with it too much to the extent or probably what they want? Um, but you absolutely hit the nail on the head with it. I know Joe Jeffrey's very popular over in the UK with doing like a fat load and what he will more or less do. Like, I guess it's a option for uh, like the depletion. So like, you know, a lot of people will do like a deplete where they'll try and like run low carbohydrates the whole way through. He'll still have them on maintenance cows for let's say the first three days, but it would just be all the carbohydrates will be into the fats. And then on the last three days after like, you know, loading large amounts of like what Jack said, monounsaturated and like polyunsaturated, um, increased in like, you know, like the glucose sensitivity. So then on the back end, he might, they might be able to load over three days. So it'll be like three days, low carb, high fat, still at maintenance. So they can deplete and then loading on the back end with that increased glucose sensitivity. So then that way, you know, maybe if they're already stage lean, for example, Z absolutely peeled out of his mind. Maybe you don't want to run like a low fat, low carbohydrate approach because maybe it might get him too lean. Maybe he might get a bit too stringy and might not be able to fill out, or at least you can still keep him at like um, like a maintenance level of calories. So technically he won't be losing any body weight. So um, I guess that's Joe's way. I don't want to speak on his behalf. Anything, but... just, just manipulating, I guess, the the composition of protein, carbs, mm. and fats as a means of potentially you know replenishing one compartment. Mm. Sounds so, great. Sounds right. Hey. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But am I going to ask my client to run that? Uh, probably not unless they give me the permission. Mm. Um, but very well said, DC. You summed that up perfectly. Um, Jack, this question for you. Any recovery tools that you've used? I remember that you were dabbling in some massage therapy not too long ago. Was it about like half a year ago? Was it dry needling? Uh, it, was a, it was just the one session. So I can't say uh, I gave that long enough um to really yeah. assess the efficacy of it but mm. i think the i just use the typical big foundation blocks myself so getting adequate sleep and trying not to have be overly stressed like managing stress as best as i can and i find that my my weekends are quite important for that and which is where sometimes the show period can can lead to slightly elevated stress levels because you don't get as much opportunity definitely a first world problem as a as an online coach but don't get quite as much time on the weekend to to de-stress and also just management of training volume as well and mm. management of training variables those are the the key points for stress and i i would even argue that maybe those are like what 90 plus percent of your recovery mm. everything else would probably be 10 percent or less so stick to the big blocks first mm. Have you tried, Lawrence, anything outside of those major variables that you've seen success with? Like, obviously, apart from managing training volume, good sleep, good stress, any other, like, modalities, like massage therapy, saunas? Never consistently, mate. Like, mm. I've probably gotten a handful of sports massages in my life. I think, you know, if I had to pick one thing that I do that's maybe outside of just the big blocks is that I... Every before every training session, I will do a little bit of light foam rolling through my quads and my ITB and a bit of light stretching. But once again, like I'm well aware of what that's doing for me, which on a tissue level is nothing. It's more about those neurophysiological benefits of just a bit of perceived reduction in tightness. And also just because it's a part of my usual routine, like I do the exact same thing before every session, you know, I'll finish my pre-workout meal. I'll come here into my study. I'll roll around on the floor for a little bit, trigger point my back with a cricket ball, foam roll, stretch, bang, right in the logbook. So it's like, it ties into this whole like ritual of getting ready for training. And I think that's a big part of it. But 
to be honest, mate, I, I just think that a lot of that stuff is very, very overrated. And also the evidence isn't there for it. Like there's there's no evidence to say that these things, one, actually do much at a tissue level in terms of like elongating muscle fibers or breaking down fascia or whatever ridiculous claims they make. A lot of it we is- We can re-angle the fibers as well with yeah, the like massage really the day sure. before. That's why I didn't win the gold class, man. Like my massage therapist, he he massaged it the wrong way. Otherwise I would have had Z and the boys covered. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's just no- real efficacious reason to to push these things if you like it go for gold because you know probably one of the most important things when it comes to people getting something from like a pain perspective or an injury management perspective is an ex is the expectation of the patient so patient expectations is one of if not the strongest prognostic variable for whether or not a treatment intervention is going to work so if you go into something believing it will help you you're already getting probably 90% of the benefits there. So if you like it, do it, but don't feel like compelled to spend your hard earned money on a weekly massage or, you know, a membership to one of these fancy recovery places where you can, I don't know, put on the Normatec boots or do the contrast <laughs> baths. Cause realistically, like it doesn't do a whole lot. Mm. Not, one effect, baby. not one of those little ice tanks, you know, where they're standing up. What are they? Cryotherapy oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah mate, if you're gonna do that, do it properly. Captain America, get in there, 70 years, come back out, jacked. You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. Done. I have no inflammation left at that point. Yeah. None. Joints were perfect too. Crispy. Hundred oh, percent. And then look at him, mate. He lived for another what another 50 years, took on mm. some bad guys. Like it's just not no inflammation left in that physique at all. Mm. All right, I'm gonna rapid fire this last question. Hardest set you've ever done. DC, you're up. What was the hardest set you've ever done? I've seen some BK sets. Surely there's a set in there. Man, that's so hard to depict one occasion in mm. my training career that's been the hardest set. Uh, it also is hard when you also train very hard, I feel as well, because like respectively, probably like a large majority of your 10RM, like, you know, pendulum squats would could be arguably as hard as any other set. Yeah, for sure. I do think that, some of the hardest, you know, quote unquote sets have been in prep, right? Like mm. I think back to, um, of course, I'm training damn hard in, in like irrespective of its off season or contest prep, but like I can think back to multiple times where, you know, I'd be V squatting or back squatting or mostly squat variations I found were the hardest in prep. They were just like, I felt like I was getting buried. And because you've got the, the bar on your back, it's just like, there's no escaping it. You know, you have to get up or else you're, you're, you're falling over with this load. Um, so I think, I think back to some of my back squatting uh, in prep and man, that was, they were, they were hard sets mm. for sure. Just also like the, the breathlessness involved with, with back squatting as well in prep. I mean, you're breathless walking up a set of stairs, let alone doing a set of 10 on a back squat. So they're mm. definitely my hardest. They were definitely my hardest set if I think back to your set range of motion probably just got longer and longer. You're probably getting hamstrings, the calves. And then as you get deeper in prep, it's just more range of motion yeah. with less with joint that. support with the tissue. Yeah. Bone on bone, yeah. baby. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no body fat between, between that calf and that, and that hamstring, right? It's pretty yeah. much straight tissue to tissue. <laughs> full, full range. What about you, Jack? What's some of the hardest sets? Uh, probably some of the recent Smith squatting for me, like again, a squat pattern. 
Mm. Um, because I wouldn't say with RDLs it's necessarily the intent. Like I never would do a concentric for the same length as I would a squat pattern. So, and then of course upper body movements don't even come close to lower body movements for how difficult they are, in my opinion. So yeah, squat, Smith squat. Mm. Lawrence, what about you? I reckon that day on RDL. the Watson hack. Yeah, well, that was a, a particularly <laughs> difficult one. Um, but that day it was. I think it was this prep where I was on the Watson hack and it was the back off set. And I think you had said to me, it was like, we're getting to 20 either assisted or like, whatever. I was like, we're getting to 20. And I think I'd gotten the 19th and then I did one with you. And that set was probably like one of the hardest sets I've ever done. I remember that just being like taking everything out of me. Cause I remember we pushed it all the way in cause I was deloading the following week. So yeah, that one probably that still sticks out in my memory. But mm. bloody hell, that top set on the pendulum today with Rika was bloody spicy as well. Yeah, I remember that set, and he, he thought I was gonna peel it off him with ease once he hit that like twentieth rep. He's like sitting down there, I'm just slowly peeling a millisecond. It's like a fifteen second set. <laughs> oh man, have you guys uh, ever like gotten in, into a position before where you finished off a set and you're you you just have to roll straight onto the ground? And sometimes I feel like I need to like take my shoes off. Like I need to take my shoes off. I want to take my shirt off. Like it's almost like I feel claustrophobic in the fatigue that I'm experiencing. So I need to like take my shoes off. I want to take my like knee sleeves off. I'm I need to take my, my um, earbuds ear out. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's yeah. the knee sleeves DC when you're sitting there and you do like a hard set of quads or like even an easy set for me, it's just like the struggle with like the knee sleeves. You're like, fuck the lactic acid buildup. Yeah. 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 I reckon my hardest one would actually probably have to be one of my first ones in prep. And I remember this moment very distinctly. I'm sitting there and Joe's got me on four sets of 25 rep uh, leg presses. And he's sitting there eating two bacon and egg McMuffins just sitting right next to me. And he's just pitched up on the chair and he's just counting them out. He goes, again, again. And then he's got the double bacon and egg McMuffins parked up right next to me. I reckon that was definitely a hard moment because obviously like, you know, on my first prep, I wasn't prepared like my last ones pushed to the absolute limit in a training session, bacon and egg burger right underneath the snout. Ooh, that is tough. Mm. He's just physically conditioning you. It's like, yeah, hey, hey Joey, can I have a bite? And he just slaps you like <laughs> another rep. Five more. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a rough one, a funny one. But that wraps up this episode, listeners. I appreciate you all for listening once again and catch us next week for another episode.